0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au.
1: How you guys doing? Really? Hmm. I know how you feel. I've got to remember how to do this. It's been a while. Hey, I'm so glad to be back. So excited to be able to open God's word with you. It really is like what gets me up in the morning is this kind of thing. And um, just thankful to be back with you. Thankful that we get to gather together. So many of my colleagues around Australia are not able to meet today. So we're thankful to God for that. Thankful to those of you in particular who have been carrying a heavy load or an increased load while I've been away. I had this idea that I was going to get you up the front this morning and we were going to have you like fireworks and hype music and and uh, I shared that with someone during the week who is one of those people who I was going to thank and they just kind of put an arm on me and said, don't do that. That's a bad idea. So I'll come and speak to you personally, all of you guys who have been really stepping up. Thank you for that. We're jumping into 1 Thessalonians um, and... Uh, one Thessalonians is a book that isn't preached on very much. Um, I did kind of ask around some of my buddies uh, who preach and asked them if they'd ever worked through One Thessalonians, trying to get some tips, and no one said yes, um, which is strange because it is such a great book. It's probably the first letter that Paul ever wrote. There's some debate whether it's Galatians or One Thessalonians, but really early in Paul's missionary uh, endeavors. uh, He wrote 1 Thessalonians and uh, we're going to spend all of term three working through it. So the next nine weeks will be in 1 Thessalonians the text and this morning we're going to set the context by looking at that passage that Doug just read from Acts 17 that tells us about the planting of the church in in Thessalonica. So here's here's what I've been wondering as I uh, prepared this talk. I'm wondering whether... You've ever had this experience of being really sure about the direction you're going in life? seems to be a fairly clear path ahead of you and things are kind of falling into place. You're kind of cruising down that path and then all of a sudden God reaches over from the passenger seat and just reefs on the handbrake and suddenly you're going in another direction. Have you ever had that experience? It's a little bit unsettling when you find out for a fact, and not just in theory, that God is actually in charge of everything. He just steps in from time to time and shakes everything up. The experience that we had almost exactly 10 years ago now, I think it was August 2011, where um, Renee and I and India, India was about eight months old at the time, we were coming to the end of our time with uh, ministering at Holy Trinity Doncaster. That's where I was doing what's called a curacy. That's what Jimmy is doing at the moment in Cranbourne. Cranbourne, yeah. And um, so we come come to the end of our time there at Holy Trinity, and we knew that we were going to move on, and we we're just uh, not exactly sure what that would look like. We initially thought we were going to plant an independent church. We had gone so far as to to buy some land that we were going to build a house on that we were going to have a house church. We had all these plans that didn't come to pass for a bunch of different reasons, and so. We started looking into other options, and uh, the bishop had asked me to interview for at this new little church plant in Caroline Springs, and um, we definitely weren't going to do that. Like, we weren't sure about what we were going to do, but we knew we weren't going to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so actually, back I think before we were even married, um, Renee had said to me, when we knew we were going to be married, she had Looked at me lovingly and said, "Uh, Johnny, she's the only one who can call me Johnny, by the way, I can see. Johnny, I'm gonna follow you anywhere, wherever the ministry takes us, overseas, across to the other side of the nation, wherever, just not ever to the west of Melbourne. (laughs) To be fair, she uh, was a paramedic and had done a few shifts out here in the west of Melbourne and her experience was bonkers and so she had come to think that it was no place to raise a family. So anyway, we decided we wouldn't go west of Melbourne, we would go west, all the way west to Perth and uh, we interviewed for a job in Cottesloe, which is pretty much just what heaven is going to be like, I think just beautiful beaches and billion-dollar mansions. And, um, and we went, we, they flew us across there, and we, did, we interviewed with them and um, got to know them as a family, and everything was looking really good. We were looking forward to being able to raise our new little family in this beautiful area. And then we made the, the just the fatal error of thinking, you know, the bishop has asked us to do this interview, you should, you know, why don't you go and do it? So I went in and did the interview at the cathedral. Who was there? John Hargrave was there, obviously, and um, on the, the, the search, search committee. And anyway, that was okay. We still weren't coming here. Then the, the real fatal error was driving out here, and we just Renee and I said, we'll walk around, we'll push India around in the pram, we'll, pr- we'll just pray. And no doubt, it'll be affirming for us that we're leaving. We had already told our families that we were leaving for Perth. So it was, it was done. Anyway, we came up... This is a long story. Uh, we came up to the church. We sort of would look in, see what it's like inside. And as we were peering in, John and Suzanne were leaving. Uh, because it was a Saturday, so of course they were here, right? And... Um, And yeah, so anyway, that was the first time we met Suzanne. She's all hugs and just like treating us like her kids and invited us back to their place for some pizza. And so we did that. And the conversation was good and we were learning a little bit about the church. And then somehow, I don't know if God gave Suzanne the the password, but just in the midst of like telling us all this awesome outreach and community engagement and ministry that church was doing, she stopped and said, all of this stuff is amazing, but you know what we really need? We really need someone to come and preach the gospel. And, that, and, and I just knew. From the moment she said that, I knew that we were coming here. And after we left their house, the first thing we did when we got in the car, I turned to Renee and said, we're coming here, aren't we? And she was like, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You were not even a twinkle in my eye at that point. But it was great, and it was the handbrake turn that we weren't expecting. I think if you have any measure of openness to the leading of the Spirit, you will experience moments like that through your life. It's exactly what happened to Paul. It's what happened to Paul, and it changed the course of human history. The reason that western civilization is like it is the kind of place that it is is because of the handbrake turn that paul did on his second missionary journey and we have actually i think i got a map of this if we if we get rid of the the fancy one yeah there we go so um so Up until this point where we join the story, Paul has already done one missionary journey. If you look on the right side of that map, the right third, at Turkey, what was called Asia at the time. That region was known as Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, He had been focusing his efforts coming up from Jerusalem into Turkey and that was his first missionary journey. Where we join him is on his second missionary journey and his plan was just to go around the same path. He was, it makes sense, you know, in his first journey, he's planted all of these churches. Now he's going to come back around, see how they're going, going, check up on them, encourage them. And so that was his plan, back around Turkey again. And then in Acts 16, you have this moment that changes everything. It's a vision that God gives to Paul. You can read about it in Acts 16, verse 8 to 10. It says, "Part." this is um, Luke Luke's account. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That was his Suzanne Hargrave moment. That was where he realised that God was setting a different course to preach the gospel to Europeans. The first time that the gospel goes to Europe, and so they do. They cross over to Macedonia, and uh, uh, first of all, they arrive in Philippi. This is where we get the letter to the Philippian church. It's there that they he's beaten, he's arrested, he's thrown in jail. Uh, eventually he's released and there's an apology, an official apology to him when they find out that he's actually a Roman citizen and so they, he ha- actually has some rights. Um, and from Philippi they move on to Thessalonica and Thessalonica is the capital of Macedonia. It's uh, still there today called Thessaloniki. Um, it's in kind of northern Greece and uh, the reason they go there one of the reasons is because it's the capital it's a port city huge amount of trade it was actually discovered if you're an ancient history buff like me the two of you that are like that you'll be interested to know that um, it was uh, established by alexander the great so about 300 something bc after he just destroyed everything he was like we need a new capital and so he built Thessaloniki named it after his sister Um, which is how you know apart from being called something the great, when you can just go around saying there's a new capital and I'm naming it after my sister, that's how you know you've got some power, all right? And so that's what he did. Uh, Thessaloniki, I think it just means, Nike, as you know from your shoes, means victory, the God of victory. And Thessaly is just the area. Um, I think it's something to do with the sea. Uh, Ask Marios afterwards, he'll tell you the the Greek root word. Um, Anyway, so... That's, that's the place Paul goes, because he wants the gospel to have the greatest amount of impact in the area around it. He goes to these major cities. And, um, and, and so he goes to Thessalonica. And so here in, in Acts 17 is where we pick up the story of him coming into Thessalonica, and uh, we hear the story of the planting of the church there. And so that's what I want to do. I just want to track through this passage a little bit and hopefully give us a bit of context so that over the next nine weeks we can keep coming back to this foundation, uh, understand um, why it is that Paul was writing what he was writing to the people. If you've been in this church any length of time, you'll know that we spend a lot of time establishing context for the Bible because just about the worst thing you can do is take the Bible out of context. And so that's why we do this. This kind of work. So, let me just draw your attention to Acts seventeen, and uh, and this is what happens. I'll read verse one to four. It says, after they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large member of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. Here's a couple of things that jump out to me uh, when we read this: the, the very first contact um, we have liftoff. This is the church for the very first time being established in, in Thessalonica. Here's a couple of things. First of all, notice when Paul goes there, the first thing he does is open up his Bible. He reasons from the Scriptures. This is really important because some people might ask, and it's a fair question, why on earth would you take 10 weeks right? A fifth of the year to work through a little letter, a couple of thousand-year-old letter. Ten weeks, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. I who knows? This is my first time back for three months. We could be here at midday. So why, would, why do we take all this time to open up the scriptures the reason we do is because the word of god is powerful faith comes by hearing hearing the word of god the reason that paul reasons from the scriptures is because he knows where the power is i listened to a sermon recently and i really don't mean to be too overly critical but it was by a really good preacher which is why i was really disappointed and It went for about 50 minutes, and I would guess that 45 minutes of it was a story about something that he and the pastor of that church had done. And it was a great story. Wild things happened. They ended up in jail, right? It was just a great story, but it's not the Scriptures. Think about Paul. He's got some good stories, bonkers stories, like he even just, he could just go with his, I'm going to tell you my testimony. Jesus appeared to me while I was murdering Christians, knocked me off a horse and told me to become a missionary. So like that's a good story. And yet what, what is, where is his heart? Where is his attention, his focus, his passion is on opening up the scriptures. So that's what I want us to do. The other thing that jumps out at me is that it's not the ones who you expect who really respond to the message. He goes to the synagogue because he's got an inn. He's a Jew among Jews, right? Pharisee among Pharisees. He knows the Old Testament scriptures at the back of his hand. He's a man, so he's allowed in, and so it makes sense for him to go there. And some of those people who you would expect do respond, men, Jewish men, it says you know the largest amount of people the largest amount of people are the Greeks pagans and a number of leading women it's not the people who you expect which which is so encouraging because that's exactly what happened when Jesus preached right remember the crowds that Jesus attracted the people that responded to his message not the ones you expect not the professionally religious, not the genius Bible scholars. It pulled me up a little bit short this last week because I was thinking about this, how crazy it is that these pagan Greeks who couldn't be further away from monotheistic gospel message and prominent women who didn't even get a seat at the table, no matter how prominent they were because of their gender, that they're the ones who responded. And it pulled me up short because I I had been thinking uh, recently that kind of despairing thoughts about my younger brother who's not a Christian. And my thoughts were that the reason he's not a Christian and the reason he won't become a Christian is because he's just not that kind of guy. He got all the really blokey genes that you know skipped me. They got they got to him. Um, You want to talk about footy? Go to him. Uh, He's a builder, right? He's he's just he's not the kind of guy that sits down and reads a book. Any book. (laughs) And so I was having these thoughts, and then I read this, and I was like, "Huh? Actually, it's nonsense." And there are a bunch of people in this room now that are evidence of that, right? God loves to go after the least likely person and bring them to faith. Paul is an example himself. All right, let's keep going. Verse five to seven. But the Jews became jealous. And they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Wait, stop there for a second. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. How cool is that? These men have turned the world upside down. I love that. I tell you what, I never want to get the call in the middle of the night, like the cops telling me that they've arrested one of my kids. (laughs) I never want to get that call. Unless it's to tell me that they've been arrested for turning the world upside down with the gospel. Like I'll be celebrating that call. Pick the phone up in the middle of the night. Mr. Smith, we've got India in custody. What for? What what has she done? She's been turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus. I tell you what, I will put the phone down and get up and just dance all the way down to the police station. And then I'll buy her a pony. (laughs) That's what they're in trouble for, turning the world upside down. I tell you what, if... That seems bizarre to you, that that's what the gospel does? If you've spent any length of time with the gospel not turning your world upside down, then it's probably evidence that you've stopped living the gospel. If the gospel never totally busts open your worldview or challenges your deepest held beliefs or causes you to wish that maybe just for today I won't be a Christian, or gets you landed in jail at some point if that's not happening if it's not turning your world upside down then you're probably stopped following the gospel at some point and just settled into some comfortable conservative i don't know you fill in the blank all right where were we these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too verse 7 and jason has welcomed them They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, Jesus. That's at the heart of it. Proclaiming the kingship of Jesus. What's one of of the first sermons that Jesus preaches? I think the first one in Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in his life, death, burial, resurrection, Jesus reveals himself to be that king. That's why they're in trouble. They're proclaiming a kingship that's so far above Caesar, it's not funny, but it is threatening. I don't know anything about this Jason guy. I don't know if I've missed this. I don't know if anyone else can tell us who this Jason guy is, but he seems to be some kind of legend. He's probably one of these pagan guys who gets converted. He's sticking his neck out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of these brothers and, uh, who have come to town with the gospel. If you're anywhere near my age, when you think of Jason, this is the image that you have of him. <laughs> Doesn't mention Kylie, but I assume she's one of the prominent women. That's a pretty niche joke, isn't it? Or Your parents will explain this to you later. Oh, by the way, fun fact. I told you we were at Holy Trinity Doncaster before we came here. That's the church that they were married in in the wedding of the century. So, little neighbor's trivia there for you. If we had anyone here from England, they would be screaming right now. Right, there we go. Where are we? I've just really knocked someone for telling stories and not getting into the Bible. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's so easy. So, in Thessalonica probably there for three or four weeks, right? It says, verse 2, I think they're three Sabbath days, and already they're they're under a huge amount of threat. Just like in Philippi, the same is happening down the road in Thessalonica, that the the mob is out to get them, and this is what happens sometimes when the gospel comes with power. It upsets things. It turns the world upside down. So we read on verse 8 to 12. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason, I guess that's a little bit like a, um, well, like paying, um, what's, what do you do? You want to get someone out of jail? Bail. Kind of like that. Like, a, like it's, Jason's giving the money saying, all right, we'll sort this out, okay? We'll make sure that they move on. Something like that. So they say, take a security bond from Jason and the others. They release them. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. So same pattern. Same fruit. Even under threat, they just continue to be obedient and God is gracious in response. Whatever's going on here, one thing is for sure, the gospel is not receiving an ambivalent response. That's the, the hardest part of doing like gospel ministry in our context, I think, is just the shrug. That's the hardest thing for us as Australians. Particularly ministering in fairly affluent areas. It's the shrug, it's the ambivalence, right? It's the It's the Aussie response. Here, people are coming to faith for the first time out of completely different. Religious background, socioeconomic background, right? Completely different cultural background. And people are getting really mad. Like, these mad Thessalonians follow them. They're not just happy to see them out of their town. They follow them to Berea, trying to make sure that they shut down the gospel ministry there. And these, these Bereans, these Bereans are worth thinking about. More noble than the Thessalonians. It's pretty, that's That's a burn. More noble, why? Because they don't just swallow the message whole. They don't just take the Apostle Paul's word for it. They do what you should do every week when the guy up front is talking. They search the scriptures diligently to see if these things are so. We're not just going to swallow this. Again, a reason why the guy at the front needs to be speaking from the Bible so that you've got something to check it against. We want to be a church of Bereans. In fact, I had a thought just last night. We should get some T-shirts made. Just say, be a Berean. And then I thought, actually, that's a really lame idea. And then I checked and Jeff... Bezos is already selling them. So if you really want one, just go to Amazon and you can get one that looks like that. But it's not a bad little slogan. They search the scriptures diligently, and only then do they receive the message of the gospel. And so from here, Paul and, and Silas and, and Timothy, by the way, Silas in 1 Thessalonians, when we get to that, he's, in 1 Thessalonians, he's referred to as Silvanus. So just another one of these things in the ancient world, people had a bunch of names. I mean, I got introduced as Jono, but my name, I don't know if you know this, my name's Jonathan. Same thing, all right? Silvanus, he's Australian. So they just, they called him Silas. It was one of those things. So that was a joke. So um, anyway, Paul and Silvanus, Silas, um, they get chased, not just out of Philippi, not just out of Thessalonica, but they move on to Athens, and then eventually, them and Timothy, they all end up in Corinth. That's where they stay for a while. Paul stays there for about 18 months, two years. That's where he writes, almost certainly writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, from Corinth, where he's staying for an extended period of time. But all this means that Paul, during this time that he's in Corinth, during the time that he's writing the letter that we're going to study for the next. Term. He's anxious. He's anxious about the Thessalonians. You think about it, he's there for what, three, four weeks. He's done nothing. Church planning takes time. And the way that he does it, sure, it requires him to move around, but he at least establishes some elders there, gets them the fundamentals of the gospel going. In this case, he's just been chased out of town so quick. I don't know if you've ever left the house in a rush. You know, when you're in a real rush and then halfway down the road, you're like, did I turn the gas off? Do I? It's, it makes you anxious. That's kind of what happened to him here. He's, just, he's been chased out of town so quick, he's, he's, he's full of anxiety about the people back in Thessalonica. Did they get the message? Did it take root? Are there people back there now? Is Jason, uh, Jason taking on some responsibility? Is he, is he in jail? Like, doesn't know what's going on. There is no text messaging to get updates. And so he sends Timothy back there, his little protege, Timothy, he sends him back down 300 miles, um, back up north from Corinth to check in with the Thessalonians. And you get this in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's chapter three, you get this report back uh, from Timothy saying things are actually in good shape. Uh, God has been working in the midst of that church, even though you haven't been there, Paul, and they're doing pretty well. They get this encouraging report in chapter three and from verse six, we'll get to that in a few weeks' time. Even still, there are some things, along with every church, including our own, there are some things that aren't quite right. There are some things that are causing some division, some trouble, some trouble. Apparently, Paul is being accused of the guy that just up and left at the first sign of trouble. You can't trust him. He's like a bad father who deserted you. Maybe he was just in it for the money. The similar sorts of accusations that we saw this time last year in 2 Corinthians, calling to question his character. Um, You can figure this out by the, the things that he writes to them about, and we'll get to this in the coming weeks. There's also issues particularly because these guys are greeks if you know anything about ancient greece there's issues around sexuality some big issues and so paul's going to talk to them fairly directly about uh, what it means to live pure lives um and so we're going to get to that as well another big issue for them seems to be this uh, that their whole they're really wrestling with the idea of death Apparently what's happened is in the months since Paul was there in the church, the first Christians who became Christians, some of them have died. And now the church is really worried about what happens to the dead Christians. Because they know that Jesus is coming back. And they figured that all of them would be there when Jesus came back. So now some have died. What if Jesus comes back? What happens to the dead people? Do they miss out? Do they not go with him to the new creation. That's the kind of thing they're wrestling with. And so Paul's going to be big in this letter on the second coming of Jesus and what happens at the end of all things. In fact, that's the major theme of this letter. So even if you don't remember any of this context, have that in mind when we come to it. The major theme of the letter is the second coming of Jesus. In fact, every, at the end of every chapter, you'll notice, he says something about the second coming of Jesus. One, two, three, four, five. So that's a little background, that's a little context for us as we come to to this letter. But I want to finish, and by finish I mean spend about 15 minutes doing something that um, I've never done before, probably to my shame, at least in the churches that I've helped lead, Um, and that is obey one of the last verses of this letter. 1 Thessalonians 5.27, I I, I read this and for the first time it kind of hit me that we should do this. This is what he says to the church there. And I think to the church here. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. And... This is exactly what they would have done in first century churches. Whenever a let, one of these letters was passed around, first of all to the Thessalonians, but then probably passed around the region, they would gather and the, 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 the excitement in the room would not be about the new smoke machine or the charismatic speaker. or any, They were just hungry to hear this letter from the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or the Apostle John. They understood that this was God speaking to them. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite some friends up here and we're going to read a a chapter each to you. And I encourage you either to close your eyes and put yourself on that dirt floor in first, uh, first century Thessalonica hearing this letter from Paul written to you or have your eyes open and follow along the text on the screen. But we're going to read it to you and it'll take, well, you know, because you read the whole letter through this week in anticipation, but um, it'll take about 15 minutes to do it. All right? Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So... We're going to record this as well. It'll be part of the sermon podcast. So if you don't have an audio Bible, you'll have your very own personalized version and uh, my Greek brother is going to kick us off.
2: All right guys, so this is the first chapter of uh, First Thessalonians. Um, Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy. To the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath
0: chapter 2 for you yourselves know brothers and sisters that our visit with you was not without result on the contrary after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in philippi as you know we were emboldened by our god to speak the gospel of god to you in spite of great opposition for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive instead just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You were witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, And blamelessly, we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone, by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you even I, Paul, time again, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy.
3: Chapter 3 Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith. "'fearing that the tempter had tempted you "'and that our labor might be for nothing. "'But now Timothy has come to us from you "'and brought us good news about your faith and love. "'He reported that you always have good memories of us "'and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. "'Therefore, brothers and sisters, "'in all our distress and affliction, "'we were encouraged about you through your faith. "'For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord.'" How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before us our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, amen.
4: Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor not with lustful passions like the gentiles who do not know god this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the lord is an avenger of all these offenses as we also previously told and warned you For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you. Brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words.
1: Chapter 5. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters... You do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to pray for us. And uh, as the band comes up, they're going to lead us in song. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. We do take it so very much for granted. Many of us have dozens of copies of it and yet we so often neglect it so thank you for your grace um, which covers our neglect please encourage us perhaps particularly over the the coming nine weeks to soak in your scriptures to praise you for them and to have them shape us even if it means turning our world upside down Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.